Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for providing it to us, O Lord, sustaining it by your providence through the ages that we would have it even this morning. It's been read in a language that we understand, but we come to you, Lord, and we ask for more than physical hearing and physical understanding this morning, Lord. We ask for spiritual hearing, spiritual understanding. We pray that by your spirit, the word would come alive in our hearts, that you would apply it to us and to our lives, that you would do what you've promised to do to use it to teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us for righteousness sake. Oh Lord, we desire to be more like Jesus. We want to live for him in this world. We want to be good stewards of all you've given to us. So Lord, help us this morning to hear your call clearly and to respond in faith. I pray, oh Lord, that you would help me, your servant, protect me from error, be honored and glorified with every word, thought, and deed. And Father, I pray that we would honor you this morning, Lord, not only in how we hear, but in how we leave this place and put these things to practice in our very lives. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, an elderly man took his young grandson for a walk. And not just any walk, but a walk around the cemetery. After a while, he came upon a gravestone and he stopped. And he said to his grandson, here lies a very honest man. He died and he still owed me some money when he died. But he struggled to the very last day to pay off his debt to me. And I respect that. If ever there was a man who earned the right to go to heaven, it was definitely this man who lies right here. They walked on a bit further, and the man once again stopped at another gravestone. And turning to his grandson, he said, here lies a different type of man altogether. This man owed me money, and he died without ever even trying to pay me back one cent. In fact, he avoided me all of his days. I still resent this man who lies here. He told his grandson, if ever there was a man who earned the right to go to hell, it was definitely this one. As they continued walking, the young boy was confused. So he thought for a while, and then he turned to his grandpa. Grandpa, you're very lucky. Oh, yeah? Why? Grandpa replied. Well, you know, Grandpa, whichever place you go, heaven or hell, you'll at least have some money to draw upon. But not me. I'm in deep trouble, Grandpa. When I finally get to heaven, I won't be able to collect all the money you owe me from mowing your grass for the last few years. You don't know that a laugh or groan, do you? Yeah. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. In fact, that story kind of 
puts a good summary, right? A good feeling that we have about debt and how we view debt. We have some varied views, do we not? How we think about it. And our passage this morning, uh, it gives us a resounding reminder, no matter what our views of debt are, right? Uh, We're in a stewardship series. We're not gonna talk about money for three or four more weeks. But today we're gonna talk about debt. And we're gonna talk about the fact that all of us remain under a vast and continual debt. A debt that we are unable to ever fully pay off in this life one that we will most certainly carry with us until the very day that we die. And I don't know, some of you are here this morning and you may feel that way about the financial debt that you carry, that you'll never get out from underneath it. We'll save that for another time. Because the debt that Paul speaks of here in Romans 13 has nothing to do with money, but it has everything to do with the simplest Yet, I would say most comprehensively difficult command for us to obey as followers of Jesus. What command is that? The command to love. To love others just as God has loved us. As I already mentioned, we're in week three of a topical series, a series on stewardship. And this morning, we're gonna consider our responsibility to be faithful to God as we navigate the various relationships which he has entrusted to us. I know you're aware that whole sermons could be preached about how we are called to faithfulness as husbands and faithfulness as wives. Faithfulness as sons and daughters, faithfulness as fathers and mothers, faithfulness as brothers and sisters, both physically or by blood, but also spiritually as brothers and sisters in Christ. There could be whole sermons on our our responsibility to be faithful as friends and coworkers, teammates, employers, employees, citizens, and so on and so forth. In fact, as I thought through it this week, I I think I came up with a 52-week sermon plan just for that. I think we can spend a whole year. Don't be afraid. We're not going to sit here for a year because that's not what we're called to this morning. It's not what God's text necessarily calls us to do. Rather, we're being called to take that simple yet most comprehensively difficult command to love one another and embrace it to start there, embrace that command, to grab a hold of it and then to allow God's spirit to take it and apply it to our own lives and the many varied relationships we are each a part of. You don't need me to address every single one of those relationships. We have a good and faithful God who by his spirit will lead you to apply it appropriately. So to help us grab a hold of the command itself and the debt that we owe itself, we'll turn to our text, Romans 13, eight through 10, and let's first consider this question. The question, why? Why should we love? That's the question. If you're taking notes, that's our first of three questions, our first of three points this morning. Why should we love? look many places in the Bible to find the answer to that, right? But we have an answer for us right here in Romans 13, 8. It's actually quite simple. Because it is a debt. Because love is a debt. Look again at verse 8. It says at the beginning of that verse, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now that's a fine translation of the Greek text. 
But I think that the NIV, if you're having an NIV with you, the NIV actually gives us a better sense of what's being communicated in the original language. I'll read it for you in case you don't have a copy of that. Uh, it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. It catches on to the present nature, the present participle and ongoing nature of that command. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I point this out. I don't like to always point out original language things, but I do because maybe you've heard some people use this text to justify their view that Christians are to never borrow money for anything under any case. They'll quote this scripture to you. But that's not the sense of this passage in context, and actually you can't justify such a view from all of scripture. Uh, throughout scripture, it's assumed that we will at times have debt. So we find more instruction in the Bible, not about having debt, but our attitudes and our practices towards debt, both borrowing and lending. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, particularly the law, uh, you'll see that there's much instruction on how the people of Israel were and were not supposed to lend and borrow money. And in Matthew 5.42, uh, this is just an example, Jesus himself does not forbid debt, where he could have at that moment, but he doesn't. So what is contained here in verse 8 is not a blanket prohibition against having debt, as some would say, but rather it's a, I think, a clear application of a proper view of debt. And what is that? If you have debt, pay it back. If you have debt, pay it, pay it off. Psalm 37, 21 reminds us that, quote, it is the wicked who borrow and do not repay. It's the wicked who borrow and have no intention to repay. And we don't have time to go into the other topics like the sinful practice of borrowing for needless things. And you're like, you're meddling, Pastor Dan. That's definitely addressed in scripture. Or lending at unjust interest rates to pilfer from the poor, right? That's a problem. We'll save all that for week six, right? Our last week. No, we won't cover all of that, but we'll save it for another time. I think you guys know what I'm pointing at. Paul's not forbidding having debt, but if we're gonna address it, we'll say that we need to have a proper heart towards it, right? And he's speaking of debt in a completely different sense than money, right? He's, he's inspired by God, and so we can apply it to any debt that we have to not let it remain outstanding. We should pay it, but here you go. Let no debt remain outstanding except for one. Pay every debt off. Cancel it except for this one. And what is that? The continuing debt to love one another. See what he did there? This debt the debt that we have to love one another will always be outstanding. Some of you know who John Chrysostom is. He's an early church father writing uh, in the early few centuries after the time of the apostles. I like how he explains this. He says, and I'll quote, love is a perpetual debt for we will never have it discharged and done with, but rather it will be discharged continually and yet never completed, but always owed. And then I like how he summarizes it at the end. For such is this debt that one must both forever pay it and forever owe it. The debt of love, you'll forever pay it 
while forever owing it. In other words, this debt is ongoing. You have to keep paying it. There'll never come a time when any of us will say, I've done all the loving I need to do. I finally reached the amortization table 30 years, right? I've made it to the end. I'm writing my last love mortgage check. You're never going to find that day as long as there's breath in your lungs. As long as God gives you time here on this earth, you will continue to owe this debt and pay this debt of love. That's what Paul's getting at. It's ongoing, continual. And you will keep writing check after check after check with each and every faithful act of love that you do. Let me ask you a question here. Have you ever owed someone money? I'm not talking about, you know, the banker or anything like that, you know, the finance. I'm talking about someone. Have you ever owed someone money? If you have, or if you can imagine yourself owing, pretend you owe me money for a second, right? What would be the first thing that comes to your mind when you see that person? If you've been here, you know the first thing that comes to your mind. I owe them money. First thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, hi, good to see you in the back of your head. Oh, (laughs) I owe them money. You can't help but think about it. You ever ask why? It's not that way in every culture. You know why it's really strong for us? Because we kind of enter into an agreement, right? Into a a pact with the other person. There's a responsibility we have to them. They've lent to us something that belongs to them. It's on loan, so to say. It's not ours to keep. And so we have a responsibility to give it back to them. We've promised to pay it back. So sometimes that's by written contract. Sometimes it's by a handshake. Sometimes it's just by a head nod or a mutual agreement, whatever it is. When we meet these people, we feel this, right? Say, I owe you this money, If you can picture that for a minute, let me read to you Proverbs 22, seven. It describes it this way. The borrower is slave to the lender. Now, some of you feel that way anyway, right? With mortgages and college financing and everything else, right? We get that. But that's that feeling. We we are enslaved to the other person. We've made this promise and we have to do it. Now, let's flip the script for a minute. Imagine if that is how we responded to one another with reference to the debt of love that we owe. What if, you know, I'll just give a quick example. What if every time we see Bob, if you're Bob here, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. It's just the name I chose randomly. Here comes Bob, that old grouch. I got to get away from him. I cannot be in the same room with this guy. One more time, I can't do it. Imagine if instead, we were like, here comes Bob. He's not a very pleasant person to be around. And I don't particularly enjoy being with him. But in view of what Jesus has done for me, everything we've just sung about and celebrated already this morning, I owe Bob Christ-like love. I owe him love. And then rather than run away from him, you'd welcome him. And you'd treat him with honor, with kindness, And yet bear with him in his grouchiness in love because love bears all things. Do you see what happened in that simple example? We're going back to week one of our stewardship series. What happens is we remove ourselves from the center of our universe. We acknowledge that it's God's world and he's entrusted us with things to steward, right? We acknowledge that God is the one who's called us and saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We begin to think about the amazing grace of his love toward us. We, we begin to see the other person as not someone beneath us or a part of us or just someone we cannot stand, but in, in rather in, in line with all of God's word, we see this person as a person to whom we owe a debt of love. We owe a debt of love, so we face them up, we see them, and the first thing that comes to mind is not how can I get away from this person, but it's how can I love this person? How can I care? for this person. We should love, why? Because love is a debt. Love is a debt. But I'm gonna get real with you for a moment because I think there's another question that naturally flows from that that some of you are probably already asking, picking on Bob again, just how many Bobs do I have to love? Just how many Bobs do I have to put up with? And this brings us to our second Point this morning. Our points come directly from the text. And that second point this morning is who should we love? So why should we love? Now we look at who should we love? And because our answer comes from the text, verse eight answers it for us. Look what Paul says, love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It gets interesting here because the first part, love each other, sounds a lot like all the other one another passages that we see throughout the New Testament letters, including Paul just went through a bunch of them in Romans 12, 9 through 21. Uh, you know those one another passages, those instructions that were given throughout the New Testament and how we're to treat each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? How the family of God uh, is to act with one another. But then he introduces this other word, another, at the end of the verse. And that actually expands the understanding of the debt we owe to others of a different kind. That's another, others of a different kind. That is to all those who are around us, to those of different backgrounds, those of different races, different social and economic classes, those of different personalities, those of different political philosophies and those with different religious convictions. In fact, it includes just about anybody whom God brings into our lives, believer or unbeliever. To strengthen this case, look at verses nine and 10. Just after Paul quotes Leviticus 19.8 by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he goes on to say, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And that actually gets to the heart of the question before us, which is how many Bobs do I have to love, right? Or who should we love? The answer is simple. It's our neighbor. We'll close our Bibles and be done this morning, right? No, because there's another question to ask. Who is our neighbor? I'm really glad you asked. No, we didn't, Pastor Dan, you did. I'm glad you asked anyway. Because Jesus actually was asked the same question. Jesus got asked the very same question once. And it was even in reference to Leviticus 19.8 as well. So turn with me to Luke 10. I love the art of sermon illustration, but I love it when you can just turn to the parables. Just turn to the words of Jesus. You have an illustration right there for you. If you turn to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, Luke records for us that, behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, teacher, 
excuse me, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, that is the man with the question, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Who are you talking about, Jesus? Just who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. The man answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This parable of the good Samaritan leaves no doubt for us about who our neighbor is, right? Uh, Our neighbor is anyone near us who has a need. The priest and the Levite were more like the injured man than the Samaritan was. He was the outcast, the hated one. Yet he was the one who showed mercy. This teaches us that our neighbor is anyone who has a need, no matter how different from us that person may be. It is anyone who God, we're talking about stewardship here, God's ownership of all things, anything who God brings into our lives. Think about that as you go about your days and the people that God puts in front of you, they weren't put there arbitrarily, right? God, who's the master of all things, He's the one who's orchestrating these things according to his good and perfect will. And he's bringing you into contact. And then if you consider, this is like even more, if you consider the previous context of the passage before us here, right? If you go back to Romans uh, 12 and 13, right? Uh, You'll see that it's not just about loving those who are with us in the church or around us, but it's also our enemies, Context implies that the debt of love we owe extends not just to the people we find easy to love, but even to those who aren't easy to love and maybe even those who hate us. Do you have categories like that for people? Regretfully, I do. There's the easy to love and the not so easy to love. It's convicting to think about, isn't it? How we so easily, "Mm, this one's gonna be easy, this one's gonna be hard. Perhaps those in-laws who refuse to accept us and treat us kindly. Those thoughtless neighbors whose backyard parties go into the middle of the night and wake up your kids. The unsaved relative who ridicules your faith. The belligerent coworker who blasphemes God constantly with his language. The wayward adult child who blames the parents for every single problem they have. The kids at the other lunch table who make fun of you 
for not looking or talking a certain way or for not loving the world as much as they do. Do you get the point? It's easy to put people in this easy to love and not easy to love category. But we're to love even people like that. Even the people that are hard to love. We're called to love our neighbor. And if that neighbor is our very enemy, we owe them a debt of love. Why? Because of the love of Jesus. And we should be eager to pay that debt. But how? How can we best love them? And there's another sermon series for 52 weeks for another year, right? Well, let's just cover it quickly. And at our third and final point this morning, our third question, how? How should we love? How should we love? The answer is found. We'll stick to our text. It's found in part in verses 9 and 10. Here, Paul recalls four commands from the moral law. He appeals to the Ten Commandments. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the nature of the Ten Commandments, but the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with kind of our relationship to God, our responsibility to Him. It's more vertically focused. And then Commandments 5 through 10 are talking more about our responsibility and relationships with other people around us. We might uh, call those more horizontally focused, right? So Paul here, he appeals to the Ten Commandments. He goes to that second part of it, right? The more horizontal things. And listen what he says He says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Some of you are keeping score. You're like, that's the sixth, seventh, eighth, and 10th commandments. Huh, so that's it. That's all we're to do, right? Now, if you know anything about how Jesus expands the application of these commandments, because we're still bound to the moral law, if you know anything about how he does that in, say, Matthew 5 through 7, you know, that's really hard, right? We can't even do that. We can't even do that faithfully. That's a struggle. But beyond these specific commands, would you look at the words that come just after? What does he say? You might be tempted to overlook them. That's why I'm having you look again for yourself. Did you catch it? And any other commandments. And any other commandments. Oh, so the fifth commandment, you don't get a free pass, kids. You still have to honor your father and mother. And guess what? We still are not allowed to lie, okay? Do not bear false witness. It's piling on. But what if any other commandment includes all the other commandments given to help us live according to the moral law, including Jesus's and the apostles' teaching on it? I don't know that we can make that 100% declaration from this text, but we can from the whole of Scripture, right? All of that applies to us. In fact, in my notes, I put breaking news. They do. All the commands. And look how it's all summed up. Jesus affirms Leviticus 19.8. Paul reminds us of it again here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So for the sake of time, I want to get real practical in answering the question, how should we love? You're going to find the answer, the heart of the matter in the first words of verse 10. It's kind of surprising. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Uh, This phrase is what in English 
uh, we call lidities, right? It's a form of speech called lidities. It's a negative expression that implies a strong affirmative. So for example, you might look at someone and say, he is no fool. You hear that negative, he's no fool. What you're really saying is he's exceptionally wise, right? So when you say he is no fool, that's a lidities. He's exceptionally wise. So here when it says love does no wrong, you're actually saying love does what is best for his neighbor, right? Love does what is right or best for a neighbor. This means that how we love is not just focused on what we don't do, right? It's not on all these negative commandments. It's also focused on our active work to seek what is best for the other persons. It begins with considering that person in front of us as more important than us. It means dying to ourselves so that we might serve the other person. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did for us? I didn't come up with this on my own. I was reminded of what Jesus did. You might remember we were his enemies. We who were most unlovable. Did he not, as Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, consider us and empty himself? Did he not take the form of a servant? Was he not born in our likeness? Did he not love us by giving us redemption? through the shedding of his blood. I think it's been modeled for us perfectly by the Savior. Of course, now we feel overwhelmed, right? We can't save anybody's soul, can we? No. But we can love them. We can love them. Even if we have to turn a cheek to the hatred they hurl at us, we can still care for them. As we do it, we can love the unlovable. We can serve those who exploit us and we can honor those who dishonor us. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can love, can't we? That's why we love. Because he first loved us. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can most certainly love. And then I said, can't we? Some of you caught me. I could see it in your eyes. That's a trick question, Pastor Dan. It is. Because we can't. But on the other hand, we can't. Right? We can, but we can't. On our own, we're helpless. We're powerless to do any good for God. But Those of us who belong to Jesus have his spirit at work within us, working in and through us to do that which is pleasing to God, including loving others, even Bob, even our enemies, even the difficult people in our lives, even those who are easy to love. I could say a lot more here, but what I wanna do this morning, my aim, which might be different to some of you, is I wanna allow room for the Holy Spirit to do his work. You don't need me to give you a 10 steps to being a better lover. That'd be awkward anyway. But you don't want me to give that to you. That's not what you need. You need to be reminded of God's great love for you. You need to be reminded that it is the Holy Spirit whom Jesus promised to send into the world to convict the world and Granville Chapel and whoever's here this morning of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's his job, not mine. You need to open your heart to the Spirit. You need to say, Spirit, how? 
God, how can I live for you and bring glory to you? I need help. Those are easy words to say, aren't they? Yeah, we're all pious here on Sunday morning, aren't we? I need help. That should be something we say every day, particularly to the Lord. I can't do this. I need help. Even me, even Pastor Dan needs help. All of us fail in the call to love, even me. But God doesn't fail. God is faithful. And here's one thing I know that I can encourage you with, which I think is my calling most high this morning, to remind you that God will not call you to do something that he has no intention to supply you with the resources to carry it out. God wouldn't require it of you if he wasn't ready, willing, and always capable of supplying you with what you need to carry it out. So let me remind you, his grace is not just sufficient, it's more than sufficient for each and every one of us. When we consider this call to love others, we can confidently trust that he will provide all that we need to do it. Going back to the whole point of this topical series we're doing right now is we believe God's called us to be faithful stewards, stewards of uh, the call, right, to share his love with others, but we're also stewards of the resources and relationships that he provides for us to carry out that call. So for me, it's been helpful this week to think through the different relationships I have and ask the Lord, where am I failing? How am I honoring you? How can I do more to honor you? Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. I won't call names out because I would never speak of anyone in the room this way, right? That person's really difficult, Lord. I, I, I need some help here. I can't do it. How can I love them? I owe that debt and I want to pay it back. That's what Paul calls us to here kind of as he brings his admonitions to an end is that this is a debt you owe. So here's how I want to end. I didn't write out my conclusion very well this week. Sometimes I struggle with how to land the plane. But when you think about that, Think about the debt of love. I hope it's been impressed upon your heart. I hope the spirit has brought it there. But I think you have a choice this morning. You can either see that as I've called you to embrace it and focus on the crushing call that it is. The overwhelming burden that it can be at times, right? You can land there. Or here's what I'm trying to do. And you can hold me accountable. I'll try to hold you accountable. God, thank you for the privilege Thank you for saving me and calling me to reflect you in this world and love others and to pay this debt back and to point them to Jesus. What a privilege, oh God. Will you do that? For your good, the good of the church, the good of the kingdom, and for the glory of God, will you? May he help us, amen and amen.